I mean, I don't know if you all saw this episode coming, but it's here. Side effects of being an Oreo. To all my people out there who know they black, but grew up talking like this, and possibly still talk like this, this episode is for you because we, for quite some time, have heard statements like, you think you all black because you talk white. Or, you ain't black, look how you talk. Or, you think you white. Nope. I just talk with the diction of an individual that was raised in a private white institution. And that, for a lot of us, has to do with like being raised in an immigrant background, or maybe you were like the choking black kid in your neighborhood, or maybe your parents were like Republicans. I mean, there's a number of reasons why this can happen. But we're going to get into what it means to be an Oreo. We're going to get into what it really means to be like, okay... Why can someone say that you're an Oreo? Like, what, what is the, the bottom, the, the grit of that? Because where does the blackness come out of that uh, to make you say that somebody is black on the outside and white in the middle? And I'm even going to perform my poem, Oreo, that was featured in my first book, Young Skin, Wise Mind, Old Soul, which I'm thinking about republishing. So we'll get to that. But most importantly, we have later in the show... My dear friend and confidant. I mean, he's here right now, so we can actually just say hi. Like, my dear friend and confidant. We went to high school together at Dr. Ops High School. DP. DP. Ah, uh, DP. Four to the two, to the seven, to the six. Um, Michael James Scott. Michael James Scott has a litany of roles on Broadway. He will also uh, be featured in the Showtime television series starring John Cheadle titled Black Monday. Black Lunas. And <laughs> African American Monday. <laughs> So Michael and I were Oreos <laughs> for our entire adolescence. Uh, and then we were forced to find our blackness in a very, very real way. Like I always knew about my blackness, but I ended up having to like exert it in a very, very real way senior year. So we're going to talk about that later. But first, it's on the drive by Jam dropping, jam dropping, jam dropping. We're jumping on these hoes. Today's jam dropping is pragmatist versus apologist. Basically, it's an Oreo versus a coon. That's essentially where we're going with this. Listen, being an Oreo exists in a couple different forms and fashions, right? I know for me, it wasn't like I chose to be an Oreo. An Oreo is basically somebody who people consider to be white by presentation, uh, even though they are black by pigmentation. And for me, I grew up around a lot of different kinds of kids in a lot of different kinds of environments. And I really had like no distinct accent. Um, I have what's called a non-regional accent. I mean, I've picked up different, you know, accented words th at this point in my life. But growing up, 
I really spoke just like this. It was very just straightforward and there wasn't any discerning aspects of it. Uh, which has been very helpful for me as an actor, but ooh, not as a black child in school. And it's because there was still such a stereotypical rendering of what black was supposed to be and what white is supposed to be. And so I know a lot of us, especially in my age group, grow up hearing things like, oh, you think you all that because you talk white. Or you think you all that because you friends with white people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The way that this becomes a conversation between pragmatists and apologists is because at a certain point in your life, you come to understand that being an Oreo eventually becomes an asset in certain spaces. It becomes a tool that you can use to infiltrate certain spaces that otherwise have made it their business to keep out quote-unquote stereotypical black folks. That's the pragmatist. The apologist is the person who gets into those spaces as an Oreo and thinks that this cloak of conversation, of mannerisms, of pleasantries, of uh, etiquette, they, they seem to think that that no longer keeps them rooted in the blackness that they are actually attached to um, by nature of this, their existence in this country and think that it makes them somehow transcending of that into a higher place of whiteness. The apologist part of it is them thinking that white is right. I've heard a story one time about an actor who was, he's fairly dark skinned and he was doing a photo shoot with a couple of other white actors. And he said to the lighting guy, I'm so sorry, you know, that you have to do all of this adjusting for my skin. And even though someone listening might be like, well, you know, that might just be his insecurity, et cetera, et cetera. It's also rooted in this idea that you're the problem. And that you have to apologize for being different than what the standard is. And that's the trouble with the Oreo. Because just like with your 10% chicken head, how if you let her get too out of hand, you become an actual chicken head. Like if you let your Oreo-ness get too double stuffed, <laughs> you will become a coon. And a coon sells their people out for the praise and acceptance of white folks. Not people who happen to be white, but of white folks. They revel in the tokenism. They consider it to be a thing that makes them better. And to be an Oreo is, is simply a label that's given by those who perhaps don't understand your upbringing or perhaps didn't have the same access to other uh, spaces, or people who perhaps don't even know you and think that you might be a coon and think that you are disconnected from your blackness because you speak a certain way that is considered white. Because when it boils down to it, you know, when people say you talk white, what that means is you talk without rhythm. That's essentially what that means, that you talk in a didactic way that lacks swing. You know, when we see Don Lemon before to Don Lemon now, Don Lemon in 2012 was an Oreo. 
Don Lemon now is Sam Jackson. I don't know when it happened. I don't know if when he came out the closet and he started being able to openly, you know, express himself as a real gay, like gay man in real life. I don't know if maybe he's getting black dick. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he went to the museum, the National African American History Museum of Culture and was like, holla. But something happened. And we saw that Oreo become a chocolate stuffed Oreo. It's still an Oreo, but the cream done got chocolatized. And it happens to a number of us. I I got got chocolatized. chocolatized. Not because I didn't always love my blackness, but there was a certain root and a certain attachment and certain experiences that I simply just hadn't had until I had certain experiences in my life. Until I was immersed in certain spaces. Once I got to New York and I was really enveloped in hip hop, you know, I definitely got the opportunity to have an attachment to my black experience in America in a very different way than I did when I was in Orlando, which is Disney, which may not be Mississippi racist, like, fuck you, nigga, get out of here. But it's definitely Disney racist, like, fuck you, nigga, get out of here. You know what I'm saying? So let's just all, like, call it what it is. The pragmatist understands that this Oreo shit is something that eventually you, I know it can be hurtful to be called an Oreo because I was called one all my life. And it makes you feel like people don't understand that you're still connected to your blackness. It makes you feel like you are not loved and supported and respected by your community. It makes you feel ostracized. Because the reality is, is if the black folks are calling you an Oreo, the white folks ain't calling you white. Never forget that. You know, like that's the other part. So you start to think, well, if the black folks don't accept me, these white people are going to accept me because I'm more like them. But we're all individuals. A lot of this stuff is constructs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, don't get me wrong. Racism is fake, but it has real consequences. But there are shared experiences that you simply don't have with certain people and shared experiences you have with other people. And sometimes it might be the fact that, like, listen, if you grew up in a really uh, rich neighborhood and you went to these white private schools and private white institutions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you may not know that when Frankie Beverly and Mays, before I let go, comes on at a, club, at, a, at a party, you have to put your plate down at the barbecue and do the electric slide. You didn't learn that cue. You didn't know that you can't put raisins in potato salad. You didn't learn that cute. But these are like black American cultural norms. And the reality is, is that black America has its own culture. And so just like with any other culture, if you are not immersed in that, you can get left out of certain shared experiences of that. But the beauty of it is that we're here. We here. Come on. Come hang out. And yes, you can keep your white friends. Ashley H, Ashley C, Madison, Maddie for short. They're right there. They're right there. Chad, Todd, Blaine, Brad, they're right there. I am a testament of that. I got all kind of white friends. I was a gymnast. I got all kind of white friends. And I got all kind of black friends. And uh, I think that we get into a problematic space when we start to consider our Oreoness an element of elevation versus a tool for innovation. And I look at certain folks in media, black folks in media, who have made their brand about making white people feel comfortable about their blackness. And um, I shit on you. DMT. We're serving it. 
We got some DMTs and I am excited. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Mm, 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 mm. So our first DMT. Why is it that people actually have the audacity to colorize basic things like laughing? I laugh white. The fuck does that even mean? You know what that means. Once again, when people say you talk white, you dance white, you laugh white, it means you lack rhythm. That's literally what that means. And I know that the term, the word swag is supposed to mean like stuff we all get. But what black people have taken it to mean, because there's a whole black scenario of words that we have made, is that you have something that not everybody else has. Like stuff we all get when it comes to black folks is we all supposedly have a little ditty bop with us. It's the same way that Obama daps up black folks and shakes hands with white people because there's a certain shared communal uh, rhythm that happens. We can even take it back to Africa if we want to. But when people say you laugh white, it's because you probably laugh like this. <laughs> Which has no rhythm. And we all know that there are many black ways of laughing. There's the corn chip laugh. There's there's the just explode laugh. There's the wheezy laugh. There's the stomping laugh. There's the clapping laugh. know that you know that you know that you know that you know that dormtainment have a great video about the different ways that black people laugh the runaway laugh when y'all look at something everybody gotta run after they see it (laughs) y'all can picture what i was just doing just now you did you just pictured me doing it Then there's the talk and laugh. These niggas is stupid. There's hella black laughs. Hella black laughs. I probably laugh white. No, I don't. It just means you laugh like you are asking for the supervisor. All right, next question. Oftentimes, I can't help but to feel like my struggles are minimal in comparison to those of my darker skinned peers. So when situations arise, I almost feel like I might as well not even bring it up and voice what I'm going through. I mean, this has nothing to do with being an Oreo. That's more about colorism and the side effects of colorism and the fact that like, yeah, there is colorism and that there's absolutely a certain privilege that comes with being light skinned. I personally think that at this point in time, folks definitely aggrandize that privilege way more than it was a privilege back in previous times when you could pass and that meant something. But I will say this. There is no black experience that is not a black experience unless it is anti-black. And I know that some people feel like a black experience is only defined by oppression. And I refuse to assign that to us. I think that there is absolutely a reality that blackness within this country for many, 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 many years and continuously does have a juxtaposition to being put on the fringe, to having to deal with lack of resources, to having to move in a certain way around certain barriers and obstacles based on our skin color. However, I do also believe that there are unique experiences that we all have in how we navigate those spaces. And you as a lighter skinned black person have one type of experience that may be different than someone with a darker skin tone, but it doesn't by any means 
means devalue your experience. But just as with all of this, we have to remain clear and have perspective. It's like when someone tells you like, yo, I have cancer and you're like, I have a cold. You definitely going to be a lot more conscious of how you express your trouble versus someone else's trouble. It doesn't mean that your shit doesn't matter, but everything is relative. It's all relative. And we all go through this, but everyone's shit is their shit. You know what I mean? And the self-awareness is the part that you got to be on top of that. But don't try don't don't do that. And if they're your friends, they're not going to be like, "How dare you speak about your issues? You light skin." You know, it's like, let me just also point this out to y'all folks cuz there's a lot of folks that be like, "Light skin niggas only like light skin chicks." If they're a dude that only likes light-skinned chicks, then that means they're a trash-ass dude. So you know who the light-skinned chicks is getting left with? The trash-ass niggas. Chew on it. Next question. What does Oreo mean? Is it the same as coconut? Because I've been called that. Brown on the outside and white on the inside. Doesn't make you feel so great. You right. You right. It does not. But that is funny. That motherfuckers got so creative that they were like, we're not even going to call it a manufactured item. We're going to go natural with our discs and call you a coconut. Mm. I mean, it's the same difference. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Someone telling you you're not in touch with your roots and your soul because you talk white or because you can't dance, you know, or because it seems like you identify more with you know, uh, things that are more associated with individuals who benefit from the privilege of whiteness. You know, you out here golfing and shit. I don't know. People come up with all types of reasons, Rebecca, to call someone a coconut or Oreo. It's incredible. Like, literally, they will come up with anything. But it's really just about the divisiveness that white people have created. That's all it really ends up being. It's like, damn, y'all found another way to make some new shit divided. Y'all gonna involve cookies and coconuts. But... The beauty is that um, you know you ain't a coconut, or are you? I hope you listen to the jam dropping, because I'll let you know. All right, we got one last question. I constantly live in a state of being too black for my white friends and too white for my black friends, and even more so when it comes to finding a potential partner. All the white men I've dated have ultimately not understood that being black is a major part of my identity and have trouble coping. And all the black men I've tried to date think I'm a lame. How do I navigate this? Help. I think you're just dating people that aren't your type. I think that the fact that it's both white men and black men who are acting like this actually is a good sign that you're just dating trash-ass people. So just that's really what it is. I don't think it has anything to do with like your identification of being black or white. I think it has more to do with you identifying individuals who don't know who they are. And so therefore they have a problem with you knowing who you are on multiple levels. Do you know? I mean, we kind of... A lot of us have experienced that in certain ways. I mean, I've definitely experienced that where it's like you're dating somebody who doesn't know how to deal with the fact that I'm a strong woman at the same time that I'm vulnerable. Ah, You know, like they because they haven't explored those complexities within themselves. How can they possibly understand those complexities in you? So that's what it's really more about. I personally feel I mean, I don't know these men, but they sound like, you know, trash. So there's that. But the good thing is that now that you know that, you can, you can parse that out early. That's when you sit down on the first date, you're like, what are you doing to fight white supremacy? <laughs> and the answer will let you know. Are we going home or am I leaving in a lift? People I like. 
this edition of People I Like... I mean, I don't even know. Like and love are not words to describe us because we're family, right? It's just been like forever. Like and love? Oh my, I mean, there is not even, yeah, I don't even really. It's just is. It just is. I mean, that's really how we're going to. From Missy (laughs) and Pearly. (laughs) You know who's probably listening to? did Did you, did you, have you explained the like, full Oprah aha moment that we had on the phone the other day. I did not. Okay, so let me let me break it down for you guys. So Michael James Scott is an incredible singer, dancer, actor. We met 1990. We met before, but we really like became a part of an en- enclave of an ensemble yes, yes. Uh, in 1995 at Dr. Phillips High School in Orlando, Florida, where we, where we were members of the Visual and Performing Arts Magnet. Across the street from Universal Studios. Correct. Also, uh, you know, the legacy of Jane, uh, Joey Fatone, yep. Wayne Brady. Luis Fonzi. Luis Fonzi. Like, Despacito. Despacito. Matt Loria. Matt Loria. <laughs> you know, Alano Miller. Alano Miller. Tony Award nominee. Uh, Tony, Tony Yazbek. Uh, we I come mean, from a legacy. Legacy. Keely Pointer. <laughs> I, we come from a legacy. So, dreamer and doer. Dreamer and doer. Dreamer, so, I mean, I was the first the, dreamer and doer of Gotham Middle School. You better do that. Thank you so much. So. I was the first dreamer and doer, but you were at you were I was at, at Southwest, Southwest Middle School, Go Sea Lions. Yes. Um, I was Team Manatee. With Tara Marino and Sarah Shetty. We could literally just name names <laughs> sorry, this whole show, sorry. but we won't do it. We won't do it. We won't do it. We won't. We won't. We won't. Jennifer Cannon. So, me and Michael started our freshman year as the water aerial and the wind aerial along with the earth and the fire aerial by the way who played by Patricia McGregor oh who is God. an Hello. award-winning director by, by the way. way yeah DP is so DP is it's so fierce so, it's like, <laughs> I can't even deal I can't even but deal. also we were freshmen and it was a big deal that a, we like we had basically got a role that we would like yeah, shouldn't we have were like gotten. breaking barriers then yeah just setting precedences from see how I'm talking like <laughs> Like this so this like is thing. yeah. So we were talking like this. This is how we were talking, and which I still do. Which you still do, <laughs> yes. And I am able to when necessary, but I have had quite some time in a different space with a lot more soul, and I've slept with a lot of black men that don't talk like this. So I have diversified my language, and also when I got immersed into hip hop. That also, which because hip hop became like not only just a music, like it was like, oh, oh I, belong I belong here. So like my my right this language, this language was always like within me, and it was literally like hip hop was like, and now, now you, you can, can speak, speak and, and and feel. It's like hip hop did for me what dancing did, what what sex did for me in dancing. Like I couldn't dance until I had sex, and then <laughs> like I dropped into my hips, and it was like, okay, all right, you Come dropped down. dropped into your, your hips tonight. <laughs> And like that's what moving to New York and like being in hip hop did for like my identity. It was like I dropped in and it was like, oh, you were a full nigga this whole time. You didn't even know you were trapped in Gap Kids and limited to clothes. And Charlotte Rose. Charlotte Rose. 
accounts. So And Claire's accessories. When Michael, yes, of course. I saw somebody with Claire's accessories on the other day and I was like, are those zipper earrings from Claire's? And she was like, oh my God, don't tell my secrets. <laughs> but Michael and I, like when we went to Dr. Phillips, like we were in a class though with a bunch of white people. Absolutely. It was a bunch of white people. I mean, our freshman year, wasn't it just us? Were there any other black people in our class? Um, If there were, we didn't really care. Uh, we uh, yeah, I don't... Wait a minute, was it just us? Wait, why, why have we now, we never not... It was just I us freshman just year. Us. It was just us. Whoa. Wow. I'm, it really was. It really was. Because if we run it down, it's like Mike Walker, Andrea Schwartz, Jennifer Cannon, Erica Jo Young... John Garbage. Freshman class. Freshman class. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Shetty, Shetty, Tara, Jessica, Rush, Nicole Julia Cardona, um, Julia Cabell. It was it just, was just us. us. Mike Walker. Oh, oh you, you said that. that. Oh my God. Yeah, because. Wow. Look at that. And we got in the play. And we were in the damn play. Wow. <laughs> they hated us. They, they hated us from the jump. From the jump. From the jump. So Michael and I came in freshman year. We were amongst all these white folks. And I will say, I feel like you were more assimilated than me in that situation only because you you had more theater knowledge. So like I I didn't really were, have TV, I was still a like, gymnast, gymnast, but I was still a gymnast. And so oh, like right. yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. really immersed like that in the theater of it all. And yeah, so I really I felt just, like an yeah. outsider in that respect. But also like I was in gymnastics with a bunch of white girls. So, like, you and I, I feel like we've had a very unique experience in terms of, like, literally oftentimes being the only black kid in a situation. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, so this segment, people I like, let me just start by saying that, like, what I liked is that Michael, where the other students, a lot of them were, like, shunning me or, like, like trying to play me out because I didn't have theater, like history like Michael very much was just like not about that life like we were fast friends <laughs> you know we had to do PE together which was just like the worst experience oh. ever and how but dare we, you say but, the word PE <laughs> <laughs> so bad at you but by but when we were in the Tempest like we literally people were literally not fucking with us Shakespeare we, thank you thank you Shakespeare, Shakespeare. Freshman, year. Shakespeare. freshman first show of the year First show of the year. They removed a pit piece because I was the water aerial and I would do flips into the pit <laughs> and just disappear into the stage. I'm trying to remember Ariel's opening speech right I now. I know, I'm trying to remember. Like To every article, I boarded the king's ship. Now in the deck, the beat, the break. I blame the amazement. That's all you need to know. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> had to pull, I had to go way into the mental Rolodex for that. But... So when you're in that situation, safe in the harbor, was the king. <laughs> oh my god! The, uh, sad vexbermuth something. Like, safe in the harbor was the king ship. In the deep nook where once the asp. Shakespeare. Oh my god! So. We also came up like doing performances in Orlando and like uh, even like when I was on when I was in my first show Sparkling Cruise Spectacular when I was eight at Disney literally all the white kids were on the show and there was one Spanish girl uh, well Spanish speaker I hate the term Spanish a Latina chick her name was Idian and then there was an Indian guy Sanjay but they was Oreos too. For all intents and purposes. Yeah. And they were literally like um, and then there's white kid on the show Patrick he literally said to me you only got picked because you're black. 
And that started out like there was like a whole racist shit that happened when I was on that show. And that was my first experience with racism. And I was also I was always aware of my blackness, but I was also made aware of my Oreo-ness like you, because like black kids would always also be like, yeah, but you're not like us. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? And but when we met, it wasn't like that. And we both had like a very shared experience. And we went through DP for four years. Um and we ran that whole bitch. I mean, we ran that whole bitch. <laughs> by senior year, we were we were presidents of the drama club, which, by, by the way, way, our drama club at DP isn't like the drama clubs you see on, like, movies. Our drama club no. was yeah. like the booster club for Friday Night Lights. Like, it was very serious. Very We were serious. like the Buddy Gaerties of this situation. And we ran that hoe. Absolutely. We really did. Absolutely so we much were- so that I remember I, I brought up to you the other day that... We, I would literally not. What I would walk around the halls in tights, like <laughs> jazz pants, and like, like shorts over top of it, just to like walk around, like it, because like I had to get to the next class, but like I wasn't gonna change, so I would like walk around. And the football players, and normally in high school, it's all about the sport, right? The jocks, like the jocks. But like we were so like the whole thing about our thing about us being in our department, and is that it was just as. If prominent not, if, if not, not more if not more so you know it was never a, like embarrassed to like walk around I'm like we were no we like walked around and, and dared a bitch to be like <laughs> say something what are you I'm doing going to chick-fil-a i'm like yeah yeah and yeah. and yeah okay thank you thank you next i mean it was just <clears throat> like even as we've grown older like we just always worked you know we've always done our work and we always come back together and I just love you so much. I love you, man. And well, we're you've seen, insane. you've like, you've seen, you've seen, tr- we've both seen the transition of, oh, full of, of like, you know, like gone through a bunch of stuff and yes. like, it's just sort of like, of like who we are. But, mm. but the, I think the, oh, the main. <laughs> I was gonna give you a soundtrack. You so funny. We you. sang at our graduation. We by the sang way. at our graduation and changed you the lyrics. <laughs> so they so it was like Oh right. Well it was for you, for you, what you are, for you. What you are, we made you. <laughs> <laughs> what you gave you. <laughs> But if I look back, I'll never go. Who knows how high those mountains climb? Who knows how high those mountains climb? Who knows how deep those rivers flow? Who knows how deep those rivers flow? But I'll be there. That's all you need to We were at graduation and they said like all students, all parents stand up and we were sitting on the stage and and Michael was like, is your dad standing? Why is your father standing? Exactly. Why is this nigga standing? I will never forget that. You literally turned to me and were like, is your dad standing? Like just appalled. (laughs) Appalled. 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 What is happening? Why is he standing? Appalled. 
But Sit so, down. so it's so dope to have you here on Small Doses because you're somebody. There's a lot of changes that are happening in my life. We're not going to say them right now because I don't know if they're going to be released while this airs. But there's so many changes happening in my life, and it's just nice to to be able to have like the connection to somebody that's known you for so long. I used, I remember watching the movie Now and Then when I was like 13 and oh being like, God. I hope I get to have old friends like that, and I do. Absolutely. Like we're sitting here with pictures from 1995 of us posed up. <laughs> And it feels like it's like it feels like an anchor, you know, like it feels like an anchor, not a weight that's holding you back, but an anchor that's holding you steady to have people that have known you for so long and that can respect the journey that you've been on. Yes. And the path. And then like also dare a bitch when they're like, how did you like, what are you doing? Like, you're like, no, 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 Mm. no. Amanda has been doing this (laughs) since (laughs) forever. So you could say all you want to say, but there are. A handful of us who know, like, what is actually the, like, like where you're coming from and how long you've been at it and what you've been doing and your journey. And and speaking of that with you, like, you just moved to L.A. Yeah. You got cast on this show. Yeah. Tell us about the show. Oh, well, the show is, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's on Showtime. It's a show called Black Monday starring Don Cheadle. You know, a little actor known. Yeah, little, just a little actor. thespian. Andrew Rannells, who he and I go back in like the theater community we were in the original Broadway company of Book of Mormon together what was that again did you say that you did you originate I did I originated the role of the doctor in the Book of Mormon in which I sing a line that is you know a lovely that Karen Scott my mother is always like oh my god but it goes a little something like this I have back into my scroll Thank you. And you also originated um, <laughs> another Broadway show. You originated I did. Uh, a show called Something Rotten. <laughs> just a little something. <laughs> but why every time Michael is in a show at, at Curtain, we, he always finds me because he's giving me seats so he knows where I'm sitting. He always finds me and we do choreography from the greatest, uh, the greatest show of Dr. Phillips history, Pearly. Always do choreography, from, but like literally, I am in the crowd and he is on the stage. And in the middle of bows, we will find each other and do uh, the choreography from Pearly. <laughs> Absolutely, that's a real thing that happens. It is at it's, every it's a show. real thing. It is a real thing, and it's wonderful. And the transition from theater to television—you're excited, you nervous? I am. I I'm. I'm excited. I'm excited and scared. And he drew me down. Um, I'm like, Way deep down. <laughs> with a dark, dark slimy dark. path yes. with a secret <laughs> that I never want to know. And then everything familiar seems to disappear forever. Because <laughs> <laughs> Granny went together. So we wait in the dark. <laughs> so we wait in the dark. <laughs> Until someone sets us free. <laughs> Um, and I know things now, many valuable things that I never <laughs> thought to explore. Amanda, um, that was Amanda. Who played that? Sarah Shetty. No. Oh no. No. Wait, Sarah. Played? She, Sarah she played left because she didn't get that role. Yes, it was Amanda. Kelly Rector. It was Kelly Rector. Kelly, Kelly Rector, Rector played, played Little Red. Little Red in Into the Woods. In I thought it was Mandy Davis. No, she, she did, did it at another. Yeah. Kelly Rector did it. Okay, yeah. But it's um, my fault. I was giving those beans. She was trading me to trade even got four beans, and without those beans, it would be no story. You know what I'm about to Wait say. Wait a minute, magic beans. <laughs> there are giants in the sky. Here it, here it, here stick. I apologize to all of you all who are listening because you're like, why the fuck is this whole episode an inside joke? And it's because what what, what we're demonstrating to you though is like this is this is this is is it 25 years? I don't do math. If we've known each other since 19, since 1995, and it's going to be 2009. 
24. That's that's a lot. That's that's that. <laughs> I can't even. Let's get back to the interview. Okay, yeah. So anyway, I am I I'm I'm extremely excited and and scared, but mostly excited because my partner and I have really like we want to build our thing in LA. And LA, I mean, you spent a lot of years in New York, and yeah, you man. know, like, and I feel like your journey. I mean, as much as you, all the roots that you set in New York, I feel like you came to LA, and it was like. There was like this thing that was like a switch that happened too. Like, you know, as far as I think just as far as like the lighter yeah. of it all. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Not the, the weight not, was released. Yeah. I think that that so there's something about I think the in my head, there's like this thing about like LA kind of being like um, I don't know, big, I don't like scary and uh, it's just different. It's the unknown of being different. And there's like, of course, there's this, like New York LA rivalry. But for me, I point, know, I'm like, I, I'm like, whatever. But for me, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that it's different and it's and and it and it feels the it feels right. It feels right. That's that's how you know. That's how you know. Like, I know I've, I've had people who move here and they're like, I don't know. I just, I'm not feeling it. Da, da, da. And I'm like, mm, maybe you shouldn't be here because like, I just feel like it should feel right. Like, I don't miss New York because it was like time to go. Yeah. I did everything I was supposed to do. I'm out. It's time to go. It's absolutely it. It's, and It's also time to get into the next segment. Let's do it. That, that one time. time. This is a segment called That One Time, where we talk about our personal experiences with the theme. So, when okay. were you first, like, labeled an Oreo? Like, what, what has been your experience with being labeled an Oreo? Maybe not your first, but, like, what's been your experience? Every time I was, God, almost every time I did a, I feel like any time I did any kind of, well, you know what? No, I think... I can go back to I think the first time where it was like it wasn't as it wasn't like it was a um it was more what was con- I think more negative that people sort of mm-hmm. was in was probably in in uh middle school like 6th grade because like the years before that well I mean you do you remember the story of me being called a nigger in school and my, Karen Scott like running <laughs> I do not please refresh please refresh my memory this was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I was at Rock Springs Elementary mm-hmm. School in Apopka, Florida. Ooh, ate it up. And all the kids were chat, like talking, and I was the only black. Here we go. I'm the only the token. The, yes. the token. And I remember the um, the teacher was like, "You guys be like." She's trying to get the class to be quiet, and she was like. And then, you know, my loud ass, like, I mean, we were, but everybody was. Yeah, making noise. She was like, be quiet, nigger. How is that even in your lexicon to say, like. But like how that hush fell over Jerusalem just now in between that. It was that. Yeah. Everyone knew what had, like all the kids were like. Because how old are you at this point? You're like 10. I'm, uh, so it's what, fourth grade. So I'm. So you're nine. Yeah. So, so you're able to know, able. like we're in the able to know, yeah. Like so that happens. Ashley H and Ashley C are like, oh my god, yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> Colin D is like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Um. So and Chad is like, what are you doing? Um. And so I immediately get up, <laughs> and Todd is like, I mean, my mom says that too. Yeah, totally. 
<laughs> in Florida, so. Totally. So I immediately get up and I I leave. Actually, leave. I get up and, and I go straight to the office to go to to the principal's you room. You better know that. You better be nine and like, nine. oh no, nine. ma'am, no ma'am. Nope. I get up. I run. I go to the office, um, and and. I don't even. I actually don't even remember if the te- teacher followed me. I think obviously she couldn't leave the classroom, right. so I don't. I think like once. This is like an action film. It's crazy. I'm I run, picturing you running. I run. I go to the thing. Chubby Michael James Scott running his ass off, but I was fast because I was fierce. Yes. So I like ran and I got there. My kids like and like got in and went straight into the to the to the office and asked if I could call my mom. And I called Karen Scott. Karen Scott works downtown Orlando at the time. I don't know how. But <laughs> Wait, what did you? So you call her, you're like, Mom, the teacher just called me a nigger? Yes. I said, Mom, Mom. I can't. What's so crazy? I blocked her name out. That's no, I, that happens to me all the time when we're recording. I'm like, Wait, wow. Who? I actually, yeah. But I said, Miss, Miss whatever, whatever, called, called me, me a nigger. nigger. And she was like, I'll be right there. I mean, <laughs> I to this day. <laughs> I don't I don't understand like I don't know how she got <laughs> to the school as fast as she did to a popka like from working downtown Orlando and you know for those of you for those of you she, listeners out there like like she's on I4 it's cooking. it's not close so you have to go on the high it's a lot it's a journey it's a journey Karen Scott gets in the car she comes to the school dressed in a three like in a full outfit with a three inch heel like oh that I'll never forget <laughs> click 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 running in she comes in to, comes into the office. I'm sitting in the office. I stay in the office. She goes straight to the principal's office. Now, what's the thing is, it's like you can't really screw with like me at that time because like I had been singing like the national anthem for like many like <laughs> events and things and like so we knew a lot of people because I was like the you know you around. You I was I was around. I was a dreamer too. Thank you. So I in a knitted vest. Um. So like I remember. At that point, I sat there. My mother went straight to the to to the principal's office, and the secu- her secretary was like, she was like, "I need to see the principal." And and the secretary was like, "She's he's in a busy. meeting. Yeah, yeah, he's in busy. a meeting right now." Blah blah blah. She, it, yes. she she was like, "No, we need." And she tells the secretary, and the secretary was like, oh, "Give me one second. She comes <laughs> in. She goes. My mother walks, and she was like, "Come with me." They all, we all follow. We all go to down the halls into the into the school into the uh, right into the to the classroom. classroom and and the principal is like calls calls the teacher out. The door is kind of propped open. Yes, and she asks, "Did you call Michael the N word?" And the the my favorite about this whole thing is that all the kids were like, "She called him a nigga." She she got him a nigga. She got him a nigga. Like, yes. Yes. So, allies. like, allies. Yes. So, my white allies, like, thus. She got him a nigga. She got him a nigga. Thus began my, like, my, like, white allies. And, like, me feeling like I was protected. And, like, after, but like. But you're not. But I'm, but I'm not. And I'm still the, like, doing a minstrel show for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, yes, do you I know do. what I mean? Yes. Um, so, so, that happened. Cut to long story short, that she finishes. She was suspended without pay for the rest of the year, which was a very interesting thing because at first she was going to be suspended with pay, Mm. and Karen Scott was not (laughs) Not happy with that. And I'm actually surprised they even went to that length in Florida because Florida being complete fuck shit. Yeah. So anyway, that was the first. That it was an interesting uh, 
thing that happened to me where I feel like it was sort of like bubbling of, oh, you're the only you're different. You're different. Because I think that what happens with the Oreos, the Oreo thing is what happens when black kids point out to you what you didn't really realize. Yeah. You always knew you were different from the white kids. But when Oreo gets starts get, starts getting thrown at you, you realize, oh, I'm different from the black kids too. Yeah. And that can feel very isolating. Yes. Because, you know, when you're in... When you're a child in any situation, I feel like you're trying to fit in, right? Yeah. So, like, I know for me, I don't think I was speaking a certain way to particularly try to fit in, but I know that just by nature of being around certain kinds of people, like, you adopt mannerisms, you yeah. adopt behaviors. And I remember, like, being around white girls who would say things to me like, you're like black, but not like black, black. And not really knowing yeah. what that meant until black kids would be like, you're, You're like, like black, black, but not like black, black, black. And I'd be like, oh, so none of y'all think I'm black. Okay. Right. So no one thinks I'm black. And so, but then you have a moment where a teacher calls you a nigger. You're like, but you are very aware that I'm black. Yeah. <laughs> like, very aware. And, and even more so, and then we can go even farther with like you being light skinned and more, oh, honey, you know, I mean, obviously, whole, you know, other, of course, of course. I'm but, still dealing with that on Instagram today. Of course, of course, exactly. And then you have that element where it's like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's well, just an interesting. It's crazy. There's so many things at work. There's so many things at work because blackness, I always say blackness we all know that blackness is not a monolith, even though for a long time, like it's been presented as such. You know, that's where minstrel shows come from, like presenting all black people as like lazy or as Sambos or, you know, as a Jezebel, like coming up with these very uh, minimalized archetypes to say, like, this is what black people are, none of which are positive, right? Right, right. And so those things start becoming like a part of like the thought process that ends up being like ingrained in society to where it's like, you know, this was some made up shit and people start thinking of it as fact. So there's been a lot of work. I think in the especially in recent years uh, with entertainment to like as black creatives to like really push against that and and I continue to be like really ardent about that and I will say like there is no black experience that's not a black experience unless it's anti-black because there's still mm. there's adop there's adopted things that black folks have taken on that say like oh my experience is blacker than yours if I'm from the hood. Or my experience is blacker than yours if I'm from this and that. And they are, or if I'm from, it always kinds of being, ends up being related to oppression. Mm -hmm. And I understand that mindset of like, you know, privilege for so long has been reserved for a white standard. Mm -hmm. And so if you have experienced that privilege, the thought process is that you are not connected to a black experience because a black experience for so long has been uh, sequestered in an oppressive space. But the reality is that we can't accept that. We can't keep accepting that. And we have to like understand and break those barriers down and open those walls out. And I feel like when we were young, we were representational of that in a lot of ways. I know for me, like, mine came because I was raised in an immigrant household. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I just had a Nettie. different... Nettie! So I just had a different entry, like, into the space. And it wasn't because... It wasn't like my mom wasn't telling me all the time, like, we're black. Yeah, black. They're black. Right. But... You know, coming from Grenada, there's a different relationship to whiteness. You know, my mom did spend a lot of time in England, so in the 60s. Mm -hmm. So she knows about it. But at the end of the day, like, the Oreo thing used to really hurt me. Like, it really used to make me feel like I didn't, um, like, I just didn't 
Let me just do the poem. I'm going to do a poem. Yes, let's get it. Come on now. Can I do an intro for you? Ladies and gentlemen, presenting Amanda Seals with Oreo. I used to be told I sounded white because I was easily understood. My speech didn't hold the rhythm of the hood. An Oreo with black on the outside and white in the middle. The kids said I didn't sound like my race. Not even a little. And I wasn't even a perpetrator because that's just what I was. A black girl with white talk who didn't ride the bus. So the kids thought I was rich, told me I thought I was all that. I got threatened many a times to get bashed and whacked, even once to be thrown through a window. So I had to let them know, yo, I have no dough. I'm not rich. I'm not all that. My soul is not white on the inside, just like yours, it's black. But until I could quote Tupac and shake my ass, until I could use I in my everyday speech and wasn't afraid to skip class, my speech was foreign to my African-American peers' ears. Until I could hold the rhythm of the streets in my hips and tongue, my presence of off-blackness was met with blank stares that onto me they flung. It's done. Because only till I met the standards set by BET and the local hip-hop and R&B station did I gain residence into the hip-hop nation. Well, I've been living here comfortably as a resident since the 11th grade, as a person with skin of a darker shade than peach. But it's funny. For a pinnacle of time, I thought there was a, a pinnacle of blackness I had to reach just to fill out my skin's melanin. Now I realize it's not that I wasn't black till I was approved of by my peers. They couldn't pass me the baton. I've been in this race for 37 years. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a poem by Amanda Seals entitled Oreo. But in that poem, you see, I say... That's that's awesome. I actually remember that. I actually remember you doing. I've 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 heard you do. I've, haven't you done that? I performed on, that. Yeah, when that. I was yeah, in yeah. my spoken word days. But yes. in there, I referenced since the eleventh grade. In eleventh grade, Michael Scott and I became really fortunate enough to become friends with the blackest blackity black people <laughs> at Dr. Phillips High School: Lavon Bracy, Kenyon Adams, and Alano Miller. And at the time. Kenyon was a senior and Lavon and Alano. So just so you have context, I mentioned Alano on a regular basis. Alano Miller was Cato on Underground. He's married to DeWanda Wise, who plays the role of Nilla Darling on She's Gotta Have It. Alano! Lano! Lano! Lano used to eat 100 chicken wings every single day. It was mind-boggling. But long story short, we... I, I don't know about you, but I feel like that was like a really... It was a really big um, deal for me in 10th grade to like be friends with them and like kind of get in touch with our blackness in a whole new way. Because up until then, it was like blackness was a thing that I knew I was, but I didn't I didn't really get a lot of black American experiences for me personally until like I was hanging out with y'all so much. And that's when I learned the Negro National Anthem. Mm-hmm. And like we would be at LaVon's house. LaVon's father was a pastor. I was you know? say that going, throwing in the like the religious yes. aspect of it too with like in the black experience. Yes. Throwing all of that. The black American experience specifically. Black American. Exactly. You know, remember like LaVon's brother Ray and like him yes. with the sneakers and it was like oh okay this is a full nigga like it Down. was just it was just like and then I Mama got Bracey, Ma- like I listen mean- and then Mama Bracy and the dad that would have matching swishy swishy like running yes. suits that they would take walks on like at walks in like after after church <laughs> swish 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 and so I feel like that's when my Oreo-ness kind of broke mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. what I got with them was like 
they knew how to speak corporate speak and wear the mask that grins and lies when it was time. But then they also were very rooted in their black experience and their... Um, well, there wasn't an apology for it. And I think that that, mm. that was... I feel like that, that w- for me, was what the click, uh, like the aha moment of like, oh, like it's not embarrassing. It's not a, it's not, it literally is like, they were, they were very, at that young age, it feels like so authentic and like their, (laughs) their thing. It's so true. So I think that that, for me, I feel like that was one of the clicks where it was beginning to sort of feel the power of, because I feel like it was, it's, I feel like it's a superpower, like to be able to be to, able to move between those two spaces. Yeah, I, I actually, I actually, it's, I, I feel like it's one of my superpowers. I like to call it one of my superpowers because mm-hmm. it's such a cool. I think it's so, it's actually amazing and beautiful and an incredible thing well, to be able skill. to. It's a, it's a major skill. It's like taking. It's an annoying, but it's, but I see, I don't see it as a superpower. I see it as annoying that we have to have that superpower because white folks don't have to have that. Well, but, but think about, think about our lives in the sense that, like, I, cause I mean, I can go into me going into like Broadway shows. I was the token, like being the token. And for me, it actually has been like, it's been like a, an asset an asset so it's been to be able to figure that out and also to be able to show people give them literally a whole juxtaposition of like what they think of as a black man yeah i'm like i love it and i actually love that i don't have to apologize for me being able to talk white or mm-hmm. talk black that it's just me and if i want to do that i can do that but you're mad you can't do it <laughs> to a but lot of I, other people so i don't but know but i feel like they're not mad it's not that they're mad they can't do it as much as it's like they're mad that they didn't get the opportunity or the access to be able to do that and as i've gotten older like i feel like i do relate to that understanding of like it is unfortunate that you didn't get the access to be able to to do this. But on top of it, it gets even multi-layered because it's unfortunate that we even have to do this. Like, I feel like the fact that we have had to master the skill of duality is based on the simple fact that, like, whiteness has become the standard of what is right. And it's like, speaking quote-unquote proper, I hate that term because... It doesn't mean that that's the right way to speak. It's just that it's the white way to speak and whiteness became the standard by simple basis of supremacy and majority. Mm -hmm. Because if you're in Harlem, it is not proper Mm -hmm. to speak Mm -hmm. like an Oreo. Like you're not going to be able to get, you're not going to be able to move in that space in the same way. I remember getting told I was an Oreo for picking up trash after somebody in Harlem. And like, someone was like, you Oreo ass white girl. And I was like, you're, you're associating cleanliness with whiteness. And so we need to have a conversation. Right. Because we're, we're being misled. But I think that we were misled, Michael, by thinking that it was an asset versus it was something that we actually developed out of necessity. This is something that we developed out of necessity because we were put in spaces where we weren't going to be appreciated without having to morph into this language. And we learned that lesson, Michael, senior year. Because senior year at Dr. Phillips High School, where we spent the last four years with all these white kids and spending nights at their house and then spending the night at our house and doing shows and mm-hmm. winning awards and, you know, like, we're besties, we're besties, we're besties. And then 
the, the teacher decided that three out of the five plays we would do that year would be black plays that involved a black lead. And let me tell y'all, that unity dispersed very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was me, Michael, and Makia. And we ended up becoming our own Black Panthers. Like, <laughs> because the white kids really was not fucking with us. Mm-hmm. Like, it really became like they started pitting the shows against each other. They were like, Pearly is a black show. Hamlet is the white show. And it was very much like, there was a battle going on where they were upset. They were like, well, why? we don't understand why. If there's so many white kids in the class, why are we doing black plays? And our teacher was like, they've been playing white characters for the past four right. years. Michael was in Secret Garden. <laughs> Michael was in The Crucible. There's only one black character in The Crucible, and I was Tichaba. Oh, right. Oh, oh, oh Mr. Paris. He said Mr. Paris must be killed. Mr. Paris, no goodly man. Mr. Farris, mean man, no gentleman. He bid me rise on my bed and cut your throat! But I don't know. I don't hate that man. I don't kill that man. Why does Michael know my monologue, though? He will call me and just say this monologue to me. But like, I just, I when just you, when you win your Oscar, when you win your Emmys, like when you, win, I will literally call you the next day and be like, <laughs> if I'm not already in the audience, like being nominated myself, like yes, <laughs> yes, we literally, yes, I will be yes. like there and I'll be like, oh, how many times do you need to kill you, Mister? I really need to just get the movie made so I can play Tichaba again. Absolutely, I really would actually rather make the movie about Tichaba. We need to do instead of another Ooh, Crucible, we need to do a movie about, about I Tichaba. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a book called I Tichaba that I really should actually think about turning into a screenplay, but that's another story. But I just say all that to say that we ended up having to really get in touch with our blackness in a very real way that year because for a long time we had become accustomed to being the tokens and that that was like a fine thing for us to do and handle. And then it became like once we were the stars, that was a problem. And that's to me what showed me these motherfuckers and what they were really about. It was fine for us to be black and in the mix because it was a cool like mascot for mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Senior year is when it became like, oh, wait, y'all can be like stars of shit, though. Y'all can't be like the leads. No, like we we can't have black leads. And it ended up where Pearly ended up being like the highest selling show in Dr. Phillips history. Mm-hmm. And Michael played Pearly. I played Missy. <laughs> Walk him up. Walk him up. Walk, walk him up the stairs. Oh, walk him up. Walk him up. And you know what was crazy? We the one of the characters in the show was a, was like a, a he wasn't a slave, but he was a sharecropper, and he was played by a white man. Remember, Ronnie? By, yes. And our because our teacher was very much about like switching roles, like even when we were doing our town. So no, I think that I think that for you it's been an asset, but I don't want to hear you say that that people are jealous because of. Because they don't have that skill. I think they are jealous, but I think the root of their jealousy is more so in the fact that not everybody gets the same access. 
And not everybody has the ability to to move between these two spaces. And when we get when that Oreo thing happens, at the time, I really felt like they were being hurtful. But now that I'm older, I feel like it's really just like it's really like just it's sad to me. Because it means that people are looking at you like, oh, you don't have swag. You don't have access into this culture. You don't have soul. That's to me what people would say. When they say Oreo, that's what they're trying to say. But it's like, no, no. Just because I can go over here and fuck with these corporate folks and and maneuver in this space doesn't mean that I can't electric slide when when uh, Before I Let Go comes on. And that's what Smart, Funny, and Black really aspires to do. Yeah. But, I, but I don't... Maybe it's not a jealousy thing. I think what I... What I what I'm thankful for is that because we both weren't given a silver spoon or whatever Mm. it is. I think it's, it is knowing how to, how to maneuver that. I see what you're saying. And to be able to come through and not make it, and not make it a negative thing. And I think that, I think that I watched a lot of, I mean, we, I mean, a lot of like, if we think about the think about the black kids who we like before the Levon and the, the like those kids like like Karen Edwards and like yeah. you know like where a lot of those parents were trying to do like it was a different yeah her was, sister was in was in uh, sparkling Christmas spectacular yes, with me uh, Marissa right mm-hmm. so I think that like like Nettie like my mom like I think about those that our parents were they they were. They, it wasn't about, I felt like when I met you, I met somebody who was also being raised in a, the same kind of a way in a sense of like, like that it's not a, um, that it's Hindrance. not, yes. And I think that no it's interesting that a lot of those black kids, a lot of those, they, those parents were being, were, were trying to instill that in them. And I think that what was interesting is as you start getting older and you start meeting other black kids who come from different kinds of backgrounds, backgrounds uh, how, you see the ones who use it as a as a as a hurtful thing because it is hurtful and it fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's horrible. But you then see which ones are able to use it as an asset and which ones are not, and how it maybe holds them back. And I yeah, and I fair. wish and I wish that a lot of them would see that it's there's a beautiful asset to it as well. And I think no, that yes, and there, and there's a necessity because of the nature of the world we're in, right? Yes, like the it doesn't have to. Well, okay, so then we're saying the same thing. Like, it doesn't have to... Having this duality doesn't have to mean it undermines your blackness. I mean, that's basically what I'm saying. I look at it as, like, I know how to finesse motherfuckers now. You know? Like, I can speak in different languages in different spaces. (laughs) Brendan liked that one. (laughs) I know how to speak in different languages in different spaces, you know? And it's like, I can be... I can speak with the most niggerest of niggas, and I can speak with the most (laughs) caucasious of caucuses. And... (laughs) <laughs> but then I can also go to Temple and be like, so that was for you, Bex. And, you know, it's like there's, but I think just in general, having a global understanding of the fact that you're going to need to be able to move in different spaces in different ways mm-hmm. is important. But so much of that with black folks is about the fact that especially as black folks in America, our identities were stripped from us. And so what happens is there becomes this like virulent, um, vehement uh, uh, 
desire to possess this identity that you don't want to let it get fractured or splintered by other by other things and that you feel like if you're having to act if you're having to like switch up your language for a different space or switch up your behavior for a different space it's that it is in infringing upon your black identity and sometimes it is sometimes you're just like nah fuck that i'm not gonna be over here like i was talking to a white dude for five seconds and i had to decide am i gonna say nigga in front of him because mm-hmm. i don't know if i want to and then i had to catch myself and it's like if if you're gonna change your language to date this person then you shouldn't date this person mm-hmm. you know because that that shouldn't be a thing so i just think that the 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 levels mm-hmm. are so many and when it boils down to it oreo is just a binary it's just saying that you are black on the outside and white in the middle and what that sends the message to is that you are not operating from a place of blackness and that right there a place of blackness it's like what does that mean you know and i know for a lot of us what that means is a place of understanding your difference, mm-hmm. a place of understanding the richness of the history, a place of soul, a place of rhythm, a place of being attached to a brotherhood and a sisterhood of a shared experience across this world. And there's a uniqueness in that culture. And so I've had to, over my time of you know learning and, and, and studying, but also being experienced and being an artist, I've had to come to understand like that that... that is a base, but there's a lot of other things that people attach to it. And when you don't attach to those other things, then people try and say that you're not black. Mm. So like for me, like even though I have all those things at my root, my mother's from Grenada. So then people try and say, you're not black. Mm -hmm. Even though I have all those things at my root, I have a lighter shade of skin. People will try to say you're not black. You, you have all those things at your root, but you're married to a white man. People will try and say you're not Mm -hmm. black. You know, you have all those things at your root, you're gay. People will try and say you're not black. Down. Which... It's a whole other, <laughs> that's like a whole, like, other episode in itself. <laughs> in that itself. is like, yeah. But I think that what we both, ex- what we both represent are different entryways in and out of what it is to be an Oreo. But at the end of the day, you know, one of the key points of blackness is also resilience. And being an Oreo has been a part of our re- ability to be resilient. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's. It's to me, I take that as like it sucks that that had to be a route, but it was a necessity and it was a, a tool and we still use it. And mm-hmm. um, what's funny is that I don't necessarily have to use it in terms of changing my speech as much anymore, but now it has become a part of my my performance. Mm. And it's become a tool that aids in my creating stories and telling jokes and, you know, uh, addressing things from different sociopolitical perspectives. But, you know, we can we can we can talk like this whenever we are ready. I mean, at the end of the day, like, yeah. let's not forget, like, I know all the words to Wilson Phillips. Hold on. <laughs> but I want to thank you for coming and hanging out with us here at Small Doses. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know, because when Someday you somebody's gonna t- <laughs> turn around and say goodbye, tell it, baby. I ain't gonna let him. I'm trying to figure out what the harmony is for that. Don't you know? You say. Don't you know? You it's, say, there it is. There yeah. it is. Take the melody. Don't you know? Things will change. Things will go. Don't you know? Okay, there we yeah. go. Five, six, seven, eight. Don't you know? Things will change. Things will go your way. If you hold. Yeah, I lost it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> The last dose. So, to all of our Oreos listening, um, you know, I really wanted to just impart to y'all the fact that 
these are very like frustrating times in this nation in particular where there's a lot of lines being drawn right and they and they need to be drawn right because at the end of the day it's like if you can't clearly see the heinousness that's going on with this administration etc then you're blind but lines that i feel need to be like uh blurred are the lines that define or that separate blackness based on class and that separate blackness based on skin color and that separate blackness based on privilege. I think what we have to do is understand that our differences are beautiful and our differences are unique and our differences are necessary to acknowledge because for so long they have been attempted to be silenced and to be hidden. But when you come up in a certain space and time that is lacking in these elements of blackness that a lot of people consider to be like the, at the root, it's never too late to get back in touch with those. It's never too late to find your connectivity to that. It's never too late to 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 attach and get in and get ingrained in that. And the Oreoness is really a lot of times about people thinking that you are not in tune with these roots. You heard, you heard, you heard that S with these roots of of the uniqueness of the black experience and. And I would just say one last, just to sort of piggyback onto you, is I also think enjoy the nuance of discovering Mm. that. Yeah, enjoy that path. People have come to Smart, Funny, and Black and been like, I didn't realize that I missed out on a lot of this. Yeah. And that there was a whole shared black experience that I didn't get to be a part of because I was raised in a predominantly white neighborhood yeah. or because I went to boarding school, et cetera. Well, look at your, that's what you're doing. They you were literally doing, you're, you've, you've, you're, you're not only enjoying it, you are like living it. Living. Exactly. Well, even when, I mean, when I went to college, that's what that was for me. Like I basically like got to be fully, fully, fully immersed in experiences that I just simply didn't have. Yeah. And when I, took on a black studies major, it was because I realized that I had been shirked of the, ooh. She was shirked, ay, <laughs> shook to the core, ay, shook. I was shirked. Ay. Shirked to the core <laughs> of getting to know the true history and richness of black culture and black contributions to American mm. American history. And by mm. my journey, Ooh. my journey of do, education, do, do, my journey do, of knowledge, my journey do, of truth, I found not do, only do, the do, beauty, but in the words of the late Entezaki Shange, I found God in myself. And I loved her. I loved her fiercely. And this is for colored girls who've considered suicide, but are moving to the ends of their own rainbows. Now there's no 